Well, I don't know if you noticed it during the week, but last Thursday marked the one-year anniversary of Cyclone Yasi. I'm sure you remember it at the time. Cyclone Yasi was a Category 5 cyclone, which is as big as you can get, and it smashed into the northern Queensland coast, destroying thousands of homes. Uh, the township of Tully was one of the worst affected areas. 90% of the main street was devastated. And on the telly this week, they interviewed one poor couple who owned one of the shops in Tully that had been destroyed. And the couple was saying that they had actually only bought the shop a few months before the cyclone hit. They thought it would be fun to own a teddy bear shop. But if only they had known what was ahead of them. If only they'd been able to look just a little bit into the future and see what was coming they may well have saved themselves a world of heartache. Now, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there have been times when you too would have made just different life choices if you'd been able to see what was coming down the track. Well, friends, in this morning's section of Isaiah, in chapters 2, 3 and 4, God actually shows Judah what is coming down the track. In today's passage, God lets Judah look into the future so as to help her make good life choices. And it turns out to be a passage that will help us do the same. But first things first, and you can tell that today's passage is all about the future because of the way it starts in chapter 2 with that important phrase, in the last days. Did you notice that? Chapter 2, verse 1, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, and so it goes on. In the last days. That is an important signal that Isaiah is now taking us forward in time. He's now taking us into events that are yet to occur for Isaiah and Judah. Now, this emphasis on the future continues on right through into chapter 4 with continued references to that day. Chapter 2, verse 11, verse 17, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 7, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Right through this section, there is this recurring use of the phrase, that day. It's really what holds this section together. That day, which is a little different from the last days. I know they sound familiar, but Isaiah is quite precise in his wording here, and it is important to get that distinction clear. The way it works is that the last days, plural, they lead up to and culminate in that day, singular. In other words, the last days are the build-up for that day because that day is the final day. That is the final, ultimate, climactic day when God will intervene and he will wrap up this current world once and for all. It is the day that the New Testament tells us that Jesus will return as the judge of the earth. It's the day that Al read from 2 Peter about a little bit earlier. A bit later on in the book, Isaiah will call this day the day of the Lord. But here in this section, he uses the more general term of that day. And I think he's using the general term because we're still in the overture of the book. We're still in the introduction to the book. If you were here last week, hopefully you remember that chapter 1 started the overture by introducing us in very general terms to God's plan for all the world. It's a plan to punish rebels. It's a plan to punish those who are sorry for their sins. Uh, sorry, to, to, to purify those who are sorry for their sins. 
It's a plan which God, remember, called all creation to pay attention to because all creation is going to be changed by this plan. And as we saw last week, it's a plan fulfilled in Christ. As through his death and resurrection, Jesus really does change the world because that offer to have sins turned as white as snow that we thought about last week, in Christ that offer goes out to all the nations. Now, friends, in today's section, we're still in the overture. And so the stuff we're going to hear about will get picked up and developed later on. But now in chapters 2, 3 and 4, it's as if we've raced forward in time to see the final outcome of everything that we were introduced to last week. That plan to punish, that plan to purify. Today we get to see the end product of that plan. We get to see what God's big plan fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We get to see what that plan produces in both the last days and on that day, the final climactic day. Well, it's the last days that uh, Isaiah first wants to tell us about. Chapter 2 again, verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now, at the time of Isaiah... Uh, Mountains were sort of points of contact between the heaven, uh, between heaven and earth. And so all the other nations, especially, they would build their altars up high and their temples on mountaintops, closer contact to heaven. Isaiah, however, sees that in the last days, one mountain will stand supreme over all others because the worship of the God of Israel will stand supreme over all others, so supreme that it says in verse 2, all nations will stream to it. And then again in verse 3, many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. All nations, many people. Catching the emphasis? It's not just Jews anymore in these last days. In these last days, men and women and boys and girls from all over the earth are going to submit to the God of Judah. And as they do, they will enjoy a wonderful time of peace and, and tranquility with each other. That's what's so poetically described in verses 4 and 5. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hawks. Nations won't take up sword against nation nor were they trained for war anymore. It's a delightful poetic image here of all different types of people united in their desire to now follow the God of Judah. And so they enjoy such peace and solidarity with each other that swords and spears and guns and bombs and instruments of war and hostility are now just redundant amongst them. And friends, here's the really delightful thing. This is already happening. Because the last days may lay in the future for Isaiah, but for us, the New Testament tells us that we are already in the last days. Now, the Apostle Peter makes that very clear in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, where he explains to the crowds that the death and resurrection of Jesus mark the start of the last days. That because of Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf, that offer from God, which we thought about last week, that offer to have sins washed white as snow, that offer has now gone to all the nations. And so that image in Isaiah of people streaming to the mountain of the Lord, that is exactly what is happening at this very minute. 
as the news of Jesus Christ spreads and bears fruit all over the world. It is exactly what Alan was telling the boys and girls about earlier. That estimates are that in any one day, 80,000 people are streaming to the mountain of the Lord. 80,000 people a day are becoming followers of Jesus. And that peace, which is poetically described there with swords being beaten into plowshares, it's already happening in families and homes and communities and villages and church families all over the world. Only this week I saw an interview between an Arab and a Jew which really are your classic two people groups that are at war with each other, aren't they? An Arab and a Jews, Jew. But both of them had become Christians. And these previous arch enemies sat together on, a, on the couch and they talked about how peace is possible in the Middle East. Quote, Christ is able to do what the world is not able to do. One by one, as Israeli Jews and Arab Palestinians come to faith, we are going to see more and more reconciliation and more and more peace. It is only because of the reconciling power of the gospel that we see that. Friends, we are in the last days. And the peace that is described in chapter 2 is happening in pockets all over the world as news about Jesus goes out and people become Christians. And it is fascinating that at the time of Isaiah, God actually wanted Judah to know about this time so that they might say in verse 5, Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. See, against this background of all peoples and nations flocking to God and enjoying ever-growing peace in these last days, back in verse 5, Isaiah calls on Judah to get her act together. He's effectively saying to them, Hey, guys, let's not get left behind here. Guys, a time is coming when all other people are going to come to God. A time is coming when all others are going to be walking in the paths of the Lord. So let's make sure we do too. Come on, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord as well which I reckon makes chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, a really fascinating part of Isaiah. Think about it. God is allowing Isaiah to look forward into his time, into the last days, so as to show Judah us. So as to spur Judah on back in Isaiah's time. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that very humbling and very exciting. And it makes me want to live up to the point and the example that God is using us for here. It makes me want to just put an end to that petty jealousy and squabbling that so often we're still involved in. And it makes me want to strive to excel at the peace that Isaiah is describing here so as to tell Judah all the way back there, then, so as to spur them on. But we need to pick up the pace because back in Isaiah's time, if this isn't reason enough for Judah to get her act together, what Isaiah now does is that he goes further into history, further into the future, and he moves from the last days that we are in now to the topic of that day, that great final day which the last days are leading up to, that day which is still ahead even for us. And God shows Isaiah that it is a day that will bring either punishment or peace. 
in terms of punishment? Well, chapter 2 now and verse 12 pretty much takes us to the heart of the issue. Have a look. Chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship, for every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. You see what's being described on that final day of judgment? It will be a day of punishment in which everyone who has been proud and lofty will be brought low. Everyone who has arrogantly refused to walk in the light of the Lord, they will be humbled. In these last days, it will be those who have been too proud to admit that they are sinners. And therefore those who don't feel the need to have to accept any offer of having sins washed white as snow. They will be humiliated. And everything in which people have trusted, instead of trusting in the living God, everything that people will have put their trust in will be brought low. Trees and mountains, fortifications, ships, money, false religion, they will all prove utterly useless on the day that God fully and finally stamps his authority over everything. And it will be utterly terrifying for those who are not prepared for it. Let's keep reading, verse 19. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from dread of the Lord and the the splendour of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day men will throw away to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from dread of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty as he rises to shake the earth. That repeated phrase there of people sort of fleeing to caves to try and hide from God as he rises to shake the earth. It is a picture of mind-numbing panic and disorientation as the fierce anger of God causes the very fabric of the earth to tremble. These verses are meant to make us think of our worst nightmare and then realise that it's going to be way worse on that day. You don't want to go through what these verses are describing, which is exactly their point. God wants Judah to know how terrible that final day could be because he wants Judah to avoid it. It doesn't have to be like that. Because for those who are humble before God, for those who do want to live in the light of the Lord, for those who do in these last days recognise their sin and accept the offer of forgiveness, Isaiah goes on to say that that day won't be a time of punishment at all. It'll be a time of peace, which is how this whole section that we're dealing with this morning, it's how Isaiah finishes the whole section off. Come across to chapter 4 now in verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Now, 
Chances are, if you have an NIV, that phrase, the branch of the Lord, it's probably got a capital B on the branch, and that may make you think that it's a reference to Jesus. It's probably not. The ESV is better because it's only got small letters and the original doesn't have capital letters either. The branch of the Lord being glorious and beautiful, it's probably a poetic way of saying that on that last day, all God's plans of salvation will have come to glorious fulfilment. You know, sort of all God's purposes will have blossomed, which fits with the second bit of the verse about the fruit of the land being the pride and glory of Israel. That's a picture of the fulfilment of God's gift of a promised land to his people. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, it was always a struggle for Israel in their promised land. They had famines and droughts and had to put up with invading armies. But in that day, on the final day, God's purposes will come to fruition fully and God's people will get to enjoy abundant provision in the land, just like back in the Garden of Eden. And here's the really big thing. Peace will be in utter abundance. That peace that even now, even in these last days, we're able to see snippets of all over the world as the gospel transforms relations. That peace on that day, on the final day, peace will be fully and finally engulfing of everything and everyone. Verse 5. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over all those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Okay, again, there's poetic language happening here, and it's drawing heavily on the Exodus event. You know, remember way back when God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and he cared for them in the wilderness afterwards. You can read about it in the Old Testament book of Numbers, how in the wilderness God protected and he guided Israel by pillar of cloud during the day and pillar of fire during the night. And whenever they stopped, a fiery cloud would settle over the tabernacle where God dwelt amongst them. But here in verses 4 and 5, on that final day, The fiery cloud will not just be a canopy over the tabernacle, but over everyone. Because now God will not simply symbolically live in a temple. He will be accessible to everyone. And therefore, everyone will be perfectly secure forever. Even to the extent, verse 5, of being shaded from the heat of the day and kept dry from rain. It is a great picture on that last day, that final day of being able to rest in a place of unending peace and security. And it all lies ahead on that day for those who are humble before God and those who walk in the light of the Lord. Do you think that's you? Are you going to be enjoying that? I hope so. Because this morning's passage is a really good one to pay attention to, friends. It is a passage in which God shows Judah the future so as to help Judah avoid making some pretty dumb mistakes. And it's a passage that can help us avoid some pretty dumb mistakes as well. We've got a passage before us this morning that helps us live well for the future. And we need to be doing that. 
Especially so because, as we've already noticed, we are already in the last days. We are in the days that are already leading up to and will at one time culminate in that final day. And we are in the period of all peoples being now able to come to God. And so first and foremost, you've got to make sure, please, that you have taken advantage of living in this period of history. Please take advantage while you can of being able to come to God in these last days. And if you're here and you are not yet a Christian, if you have been too proud to admit that you're a sinner and therefore too proud to accept God's offer of help and to have your sins washed clean, please do it today. Join the ranks of ever-growing people from all nations who are streaming to God from all over the world, from all over the world, even as I speak. Thank God for his mercy and his patience. Thank God that Jesus came and died in our place to wash our sins away. Accept the offer to have your sins washed as white as snow. Take advantage of the last days while you can. Because they're not going to last forever. But friends, my guess is that many of us here already have, haven't we? We've accepted the offer of cleansing. You are here and you know what it's like to be living in the wonderful light of the Lord. Well, friends, if that's the case, maybe the lesson that we need to rehear today is that this sort of news about the future, it's way too important to keep to ourselves. Don't you reckon? I mean, if you had friends who were thinking of buying a shop in Tully just before a cyclone was about to hit and you knew the cyclone was coming, you'd tell them, wouldn't you? Why on earth would we keep silent about what God has shown us this morning in Isaiah? Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to tell this to. Maybe there's someone that that you need to tell this very week about God's offer of cleansing, about taking advantage of living in the light of the Lord while we still can in these last days. Because that day is coming and it will be punishment or peace. Where do you think you'll be? What about your friends? I'll pray. Father, thank you for this extraordinary part of your Bible that explains so beautifully these last days that we are in now and warns us so lovingly about that final day. Father, we pray that we would excel at living out the peace that is expressed in these verses. Father, that for those of us who are living in the light of the Lord, that we would enjoy the solidarity that we share in Christ and that we really would be an example to others in the way we operate as a church family, that peace is possible in this broken world. And Father, we pray that you would give us a heart for those who are lost and who have not yet made the decision to have this, to ask God for their sins to be washed clean. 
Father, we pray that we might uh, have opportunity and sensitivity as we urge them to accept that offer. And Father, for those who are here even this morning who have not yet been washed clean, please, we beg of you, by your word and your spirit, work in them so that they might come to you and join that ever stream of people coming to the mountain of your temple. Amen.